Hello, it is your money. My name is Susie Jones, your host for the next hour on We Are So Happy to Have You With Us. If you have a financial question for today's speakers, uh, Peg and Bruce, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice You can also email your questions to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. During this next hour, you can email or text our newsline at 651-461-9226. Now, here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer, and senior vice president and financial advisor, Peg Webb. I know we're going to talk about big money and investing, and we have that lottery winner to, you know, we had that one guy win $1.337 billion. Billion with a B, isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's a lot of dough. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up actually, because what we're talking about today is and the ways to handle or make the most of an inheritance. But it's timely because this giant lottery, and I and I never pay attention. I, I never buy lottery tickets. But you had to, you know, live in a cave or bury your head in the sand not to hear about this story this week on this mega millions lottery. And I actually gave an interview this week about. You know, what do you do if you win the lottery? And, and Peg and Susie, um, for that interview, I said, well, I think your first two phone calls are to a lawyer and your financial advisor in either order, or you can flip them around, your financial advisor and your lawyer, because it's great to inherit money or win a lottery or come into a lot of money, but with it comes responsibilities to do it right. And if you inherit money or you win a lottery and people know about it, you're going to you're going to have friends that you forgot existed that are going to want something from you. So we can kind of tie the lottery thing peg I think into getting an inheritance because you know again the the things you do or don't do are going to be you know pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I I would agree with that Bruce. And at Wealth Enhancement Group, um we're still in the generation that doesn't talk a lot about money. So when our clients who are in their 50s and our 60s, they don't necessarily know if they're getting an inheritance or not getting an inheritance. But the typical inherit, the average inheritance anyway is a little less than 50000 Now, Bruce, you and I have seen everything from $10,000 to millions of dollars that these kids didn't even know. And they're kids, right? They're 60, 70 years old. But they had no idea that their parents had that kind of money. But, you know, slowly, if you, if there's two people that I thought of with this outline. One is I have this client and it's, and it's a very common client in that they did, this client did not make over $75,000 a year, but is, is, is worth millions because they, he started young. Now, okay, he he stayed single his entire life, so that might have something to do with it, that he could control what he did with his money. And then I've got people who, you know, um, with the get rich thing where they get this inheritance. So uh, we've seen both sides. And and what I want to mention today is, you know, I've, I've witnessed how they react to it. And so the ones that get rich slowly Number one, I can tell you, they didn't do it alone. Like this gentleman that I talked about, he's been with Wealth Enhancement Group for 25 years 
already and always wanted guidance. Then the other clients we have who inherit money suddenly or if they won the lottery, you're right, Bruce. They should call their financial advisor, and that's what our clients do um, when that happens. But in a nutshell, I would say that the people that work with Wealth Enhancement Group, the clients, it's interesting, Bruce, in that they don't have this bucket list where they're going, okay, I'm going to go buy this boat now that I have it. Or The first thing they think of is because this is legacy money, they think of the next generation already, just immediately, and maybe not for all of it, but at least some of it. I mean, they just feel like they, they have this overwhelming sharing feeling. Bruce? Well, you, you said some really good and really interesting things, Peg. And I think the last thing you said about they're already thinking about others in the next generation, that's a testament to our clients and the kind of people that we attract. I don't know that that's universally true. I think a lot of people think, well, my ship has come in. Everything's going to be great now because, uh, again, under the, not to be cliche, but that money is going to somehow make everything all right. Well, money can't buy happiness. That, that cliche is a cliche because it's true. Now, it's also true that life can be easier if you do have money as compared to not having money. But having money is not going to solve all of your problems like some people might think it will, that, that, that get this sudden wealth. And I think that's one of the reasons why this slow wealth or this built wealth that, that you talked about with your client, why it means more as opposed to somebody who has sudden wealth through no work of their own, but just their good fortune of their genetics or who they're related to. So, um, But we've got, we've got some specific things that we want to share with people that they can do to make the most of this inheritance if it happens to them. And I think the real reason that we're talking about this, Peg and Susie, is not because of the lottery, although that's an interesting coincidence, but we're talking about this because the baby boomer generation, over the next 20 years, there's going to be more wealth passed from generation to generation than at any time previously in our history by a lot. That This is a generation that has accumulated wealth that's going to be passing away from this world, and this money that is going to be going down to the next generation. It's going to be an enormous amount of money over the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years. So, but, you know, in addition to financial questions, I thought anyone out there today that had an inheritance, had an experience, good or bad, that they wanted to share, those stories would be interesting. So, again, our studio line, 651-461-9226. Any and all financial questions, or if you want to share a personal experience about an inheritance, good or bad, 651-461-9226. Peg, let's talk about, we have five specific things that we want to talk about that we think might help people handle this inheritance or handle this wealth as efficiently and effectively as possible. Yeah, and I think um, the first one absolutely is uh, maybe just pause and think about this before you have like these knee-jerk reactions. I mentioned just going and buying a boat or a new house or a car or something. People tend to maybe want to just 
reward themselves immediately. But the the best thing to do is kind of get your emotions in check. Like, how are you feeling? Are you feeling joyful? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling guilty that you got this money? Um, are you feeling guilty about what you should do with this money? But the first thing you need to do is, Bruce already said this and I repeated it, is call your financial advisor. If you do not have one, then start interviewing right away. Call your tax person because not all of that inheritance may be tax-free. It could be a multitude of IRAs that still have an IOU to the IRS. So you're going to want to know that. And then you also have to immediately start thinking about if something happened to you. Now it's your legacy or your estate plan. So you got to make sure that your wills are in place. And those are... Those are the absolutes, like immediate things you should do. The next thing you should do is probably do nothing and put the money in a money market and get guidance. That's going to take a little bit of time. And you do have to be patient. I see this, Bruce, a lot of times, too, when a client sells their big business and they come into millions of dollars. And we will park that in the money market until we you know, walk through what does this look like? What do you, what, you know, what do you want to do with this money? You know, how many people's lives do you want to change of this, you know, with this money? Um, and then try to create uh, an income. Um, and, and maybe it is a little bit more than you thought that you were going to be able to spend. And then Bruce, the last point on this number one is you need to work with your significant other. Usually it's one out of the two that gets the inheritance or that sold the business, but it has to be a united, you know, communication and um, a list of, of, of wishes and wants for that money. Um, maybe it's independently of the two, but work together on it. Bruce? Peg, that's all really good stuff, and I agree with every single thing you just said. The, the one thing I would add is, um, you know, you said, you know, p- put it in a money market, and you got to kind of see what, what happens after the dust settles based on how different things are taxed and what you really want to do with the money and so forth. But the other thing that I've seen happen is that it can take a period of time for all this money to come in. It may not all be available immediately. Sometimes it might be, you know, the the person owned a home that's going to be sold and those proceeds will come in later or, or other complications like that. So, again, until you know exactly what you're dealing with, as Peg said, uh, putting it in a money market just to keep it safe until you get things squared away uh, makes all the sense in the world. Ultimately, of course, the long-term money, the money that you're not going to need anytime soon, is going to end up probably in a, in a portfolio that's uh, heavily weighted in equities or stocks. But you don't have to do that right away. You can take your time and make sure that you're making you know, uh, decisions based on your core values and logic and you're not doing anything willy-nilly in, you know, in, in the emotion of the moment. So, number one, don't, don't – I, I think what we – came up with is take your time um make and make make careful decisions don't don't act fast that's number one what's number two peg yeah number two is understanding that money isn't everything and we might have hinted on this as well but you know when when money is passed from one generation to another there is a lot of emotions and 
you know, a lot of times that inheritance feels like a gift, but there's other gifts that this person has left. And that's just what were their values? You know, what was their culture like? What was their sense of humor? You know, memories. Um, I love when they call it the celebration of life afterwards, because that actually kind of when I go to those, it's more uplifting and, and good stories about the people. And, you know, once again, people are normally in shock, Bruce, when something happens. And even if it's expected, it, they're, they're still somewhat in shock. So, um, you know, the, the other thing is, and we don't see this too often, but you might contemplate if you're planning on leaving a legacy, discussing it with your kids. I know money is still kind of taboo to talk about, but in my experience, if you've talked to the next generation, for our purposes as advisors, it goes a lot smoother than if you just surprise them with it um, at the end. Bruce? That, that is so wise, Peg, and, and I, I think that that taboo that you can't talk about money is changing somewhat, you know, from uh, the, the, the next generation as compared to the previous generation. And I would like to think we've helped with our, you know, 26 years of this radio show and telling people they need to talk about money. You, you need to tell your kids. You need to tell your spouse. You need to have open communication. I think it's slowly changing, but you're right. Um, it, it's still not as good as it should be or could be. So uh, that's, you know, that that's really a big deal to make sure you, you communicate and, 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 and know what people want or what, what is important and what matters, just like when we're talking to a client. So um, that's number two. What's number three? Uh, setting real, realistic expectations. All I want to say here is I've seen this happen over and over. Um, uh, as when the inheritance comes in, the the clients want to take their entire family, and I mean in some cases it's 15, 20 people on a vacation all to themselves, like, you know, and just celebrate the person, um, you know, that they got the money from, but then also be together and do things together. Uh, with rising health care costs and living longer you know, um, for us to be able to infuse some inheritance earlier than later into a financial plan is is helpful. And I would just say, once again, that's about the communication. And then, you, Bruce, number four, I'm a big goals person. So, you know, once again, this inheritance can have a huge, powerful effect on your lifestyle. But I encourage my clients to write their goals down, you know, not anticipating any inheritance and having the financial plan work if, if they don't think there is any and we're going to, like, make up a number. Otherwise, it's going to make the financial plan, you know, look too good at that point. So that number four is just, as you know, Bruce, I talk about this a lot. And thank you anyway. There was a, there's a client of Wealth Enhancer Group that actually writes books about goal setting and she sent me her template the other day. She said, I know, Peg, you love goals. You're going to love my template. So thank you for that. But um, also with the goals, I feel like if you have a plan and work the plan, the likelihood of you actually um, achieving the plan is so much greater than just saying, nah, I hope this happens, Bruce. 
Um, again, and, and you do, you've always, I've, I've always admired how on this show and just in real life, I know you do this and with clients and you talk about it at round table meetings, you always talk about writing things down. You talk about, uh, your acronym of, of smart. And I never remember what every letter in that acronym stands for, but I know I really like it. It's really good. So, um, yeah, write it down, have a plan. So, so far, um, you've inherited money or you've won the lottery. We've talked about, uh, number one, take your time, make wise decisions. Number two, understand that money isn't everything. Money can't buy happiness. Number three, set realistic expectations. I know you want to take everybody on a trip, but maybe that's not a good idea. Number four, write down your goals, establish goals, write them down uh, based on your core values. And then the the fifth one, Peg, is consider the tax consequences of the inheritance. And this is really huge. And I and I and I saw that literally with the, in the, within the last week, in a couple of different situations where my client that was inheriting money didn't understand. I'll give you the specific examples. In in one case, um, they thought that gains on a house were taxable. And I said, no, if, if, if you live in a house two of the previous five years, if you've homesteaded, you've lived there, you can have a married couple can have gains up to $500,000 and not have to pay any taxes on the gain. They thought to avoid taxes, they had to buy another house with, with proceeds. And I explained that, that that's not true. And the other one that, that came up was the, the, what we call the step up in basis that if you inherit something that's not in an IRA, not in a Roth IRA, not property, but it's it's like a, a stock or a mutual fund that's gained value over the years, your basis steps up to the value of the date that the person died. So your tax consequence on that inheritance might be zero or might be very, very low. It's not all the gains that the, that the previous person that owned it had had experienced all those years. So uh, maybe you want to add to that a little bit. Tax considerations on the inheritance this is a big deal. It is a huge deal. And once again, I would just say, if you don't have a financial advisor, um, there's where one could truly become a value. You know, there's interesting because a state uh, plans or state legacy or inheritance or the death claim is usually a CPA. And so that CPA may or may not know the taxability and financial advisors can help with that. So just make sure that you interview and get somebody that is experienced and that you have confidence in. Bruce? Yeah, I think, uh, Susie, if I'm not mistaken, we're getting close uh, to our first break. So I'm going to suggest we do this. We, uh, Peggy and I will tie a bow on the topic when we come back. Uh, and then we can get listeners involved. And listeners, again, financial questions are always welcome. But if you have an inheritance story, uh, an inheritance that went good or an inheritance that you struggled with and what you learned from it, we'd appreciate your stories. And in the second half, let's get listeners involved. Very good. All right. Again, reminding you, the number to call if you want to get in this next half hour with a story about inheritance, it's 651 651- Four six one nine two two six. Again, that is six five one four six one nine two two six. We already have some text questions for you, and we'll get to those right after this. 
And welcome back. It is Your Money. Reminding you, if you have a financial question for today's guest, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is 1-888-6-ADVICE. You can also email your question at any time to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But right now, for the next 25 minutes or so, we're taking your calls and text at 651-461-9226. Now here once again is Bruce and Peg. Bruce? Thank you, Susie Jones. Appreciate that. So if you joined us late, listeners, uh, Peg and I have been talking about ways to make the most out of an inheritance, and you could also probably include winning a lottery in that. I think the advice would be the same. And the five things that we came up with are, number one, take your time to make uh, good decisions. Don't make emotional decisions or rush into anything. Number two, understand that money isn't everything. It doesn't buy happiness. Number three, we said set realistic expectations. Number four, we said establish goals based on core values and write your goals down. Number five, we said consider the tax ramifications of the inheritance. Not all things are taxed equally, and understanding how it's going to be taxed can make a big difference in your planning. Peg, um, any key takeaways there or anything that you want to add uh, that we didn't cover in the first half of the show that you want to make sure the listeners understand? Well, I think there's a bunch of listeners out there that go, yeah, that's never happening to me, you know, or (laughs) I buy lottery tickets and I never win, but I continue to go give the $2, $10, And um, what I want to say, Bruce, is just make sure, and I'm, I'm kind of a cheerleader person, right? So I, I like to rally the troops and get people excited and and I, I just want I, I feel like you're so much better off if you have like a positive outlook and a and a, a vision of where you want to get to. Does it always work out the way that you want it to? No. But um, you know, my closing statement is I just feel like a lot of people might be listening and go, Oh God, I wish that were me, it's not gonna happen. But it could be. And it could be maybe just something that you actually strive for, being able to leave the first legacy. That, to me, Bruce, is the most important thing, and I beam about this every day, is my family's not leaving, you know, me anything. But it was so important to me that even when I started working, that if I could be one of these people like that I work with as a financial advisor and leave a legacy and change the lives of a lot of people, then that was important to me. So bottom line is don't be kind of a Debbie Downer if you feel like, well, this show wasn't worth it because that's never going to happen to me. There's other things that you could do, Bruce, that, you know, might motivate you just to, um, to, to live a grand, grander life. You know, and on that point, Peg, and, 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 and we'll get listeners involved right after this, Susie, on that point, I actually, almost every intro meeting, I ask people to uh, to imagine they win a lottery or they inherit a lot of money or they come into a big windfall, and I, and I want them to do that because I want to understand what makes them tick. So, for example, I say, would you retire? Would you quit your job if you want, you know, one the lottery or inherited a bunch of money. And a lot of times people say, no, I wouldn't. My job, you know, I enjoy it. It's part of my identity. It's part of who I am. But but I, I, I try to get them thinking about these possibilities. And even if they think it won't ever happen to them, it tells me a lot about who they are 
and 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 what motivates them and 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 i i can give better advice if i understand what makes people tick what their core values are what drives them what motivates them so it's a question i almost always use at every intro and then when it really does happen and it does everybody thinks it won't but it obviously happens to people i think you're better prepared for it because you already now considered the possibility so um, there's probably more we can hit on, but uh, maybe we can talk about some of these things as we uh, talk to our, our listeners. Susie? All right, very good. And I wanted to share a quick story before we get to our listeners and our texts. When I had my meeting with Nate and he did that run sheet that I can live to 95 and have money, there was money on that 95 number, too much money. And I said, I want that money redistributed back to me into my life because I don't want to live my kids anything. Now, isn't that terrible and selfish of me? But <laughs> but not. <laughs> it's not. It, but it's not. It's, you know, again, it, it, there's a lot of our clients say a perfect plan would be I spend my last dollar the day I take my last breath. I did. I I got my kids ready for this world. Now it's up to them. That's not selfish. It's not unusual. It doesn't make you a bad person. Different people have different philosophies about it. Our goal as a financial advisor is to help whatever your goal is come true for you. Peg, did you have any comment on my behavior? You know, I I think it's absolutely fine. And I understand that because, I mean, let's face it, what we have tallied in giving between, you know, raising your kids and and helping support them um, both emotionally and financially, you kind of some days just say, well, that's it, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so I do not um, think you're a bad person by any means. Thank you. Let's take a call. Uh, JT is on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline with a question for you all. Uh, Go ahead, JT. You're on the air with Bruce and Peg. Thank you very much for taking this call. Uh, my wife and I are pretty fairly well distributed in our, well, I'll say our estate, if that's the right word to use. We're in regular securities. We have cash. We have real estate. And we also have some ownership in sub-S corporations, stock in sub-S corporations, two of them. How, how does one go about selling that when the time comes? JT, thanks for listening and thanks for uh, your question. So, Peg, JT's obviously a pretty savvy investor. Um, has done what what I would call, you know, he said, a shareholder in some sub S corporations. You might call these private deals, or the, these are unregistered securities. And he's talking about selling the stock or the liquidity or lack thereof of being involved in a, in a private investment. You want to talk on that? Sure. No problem. Um, I've actually owned several uh, S companies in my life as well, but as a majority owner. So I know you mentioned minority ownership. So in an S corp, if you're, if you're a participant in um, the ownership, you would have gotten, you would have got some number of shares. And until that business actually has a transaction of selling, uh, there probably isn't any liquidity unless one of the existing S-Corp owners, probably the majority owner, would want to buy that stock back from you. And Bruce, you use the word private. It isn't like these stock shares sell on the exchange. 
where you've got a value every day. Um, I've also witnessed with my clients that when they own these and it's a minority ownership, to get a fair market value, because there isn't one just stated, you know, on the stock exchange, like, you know, we know what 3M's worth yesterday or the day before. It, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it, it's the, the tax people within the S Corp will come up with some kind of a value for those shares. And then you have to trust that that value is, you know, of, of what you believe it's worth. Um, Bruce? Yeah, I'll, I'll, Peg, that's really good. I'll add a little bit, and I'll, I'll, I'll even give a specific example because it's public knowledge, and I've talked about it on the show before, and um, it's a full disclosure thing, you know, as being in the securities industry that I have to disclose this stuff. So a lot of listeners probably know that I'm part of a group that owns the Chan Asin Dinner Theater, and, and so I'm a minority shareholder, and there's actually a contingency in our agreement of right of first refusal to the existing shareholders. So I couldn't go sell my stock to some stranger without first offering it up to somebody internally that's a shareholder. And yes, like Peg said, we our CFO does uh, an appraisal or an evaluation of the stock every year. Jim is, always sends out our numbers, what, what, what the stock is, is valued at. And um, I can tell you, you know, that if I wanted to sell, and I don't, there would be any number of current owners that would scoop up that stock in half of a second based on the current valuation. So, um, JT, the, you're probably your only liquidity option, and maybe even uh, uh, part of the agreement is that to sell that stock, you've got to sell it to somebody that's already a shareholder in the sub-S. All right. I'm guessing. I don't know that for sure, but that's my, my best guess. Thanks. Let's get some text questions to you because there are some good ones that we can all benefit from. Uh, a texter writes, uh, I would like to know how to give advice to heirs on how to make this inheritance provide the best long-term benefit for them. My nieces and nephews will receive money, and I want to help them set them up for long-term financial success. That's a really good question in the sense that Bruce and um, Peg that can there be strings attached? Can there be agreements? This is how I expect you'll use that money. Yeah, it is a great question. And and again, it gets into, um, (laughs) there's a lot of different roads you can go down. And again, the texture, it's admirable that they want to make sure that, um, that, you know, that, that things go well for all, all the people potentially involved, uh, but it gets back what Peg and I talked about uh, in the first half of the show, communication. Do, does everybody even know what's going on? Have things been communicated, Peg? Yeah, I think there's a couple things here. There's a, a, a legal issue, you know, can you, um, can you actually put strings on the money? And then secondly, if the advice was given what to do with the money, it's more of a kind of a, a emotional or guilty thing that you feel. So let's talk about these strings. If you want real strings on money that you're going to give to others, maybe these nieces and nephews, you almost have to set up a trust and a trust that would be irrevocable. And then you get to specify exactly what you want with that money, meaning $500 a month, $5,000 a year, 
I want this to go to health care costs, college costs. You, you can name it all in there. Then that's a legal entity that has to be followed by the trustee that you pick at that time. I've witnessed more so that the education around money and what you actually would like these people that inherit the money to do, they absolutely come back to us and say, okay, I want to follow the wishes. It's very hard for people to not want follow the wishes of the person that passed away. Um, unless there's some kind of an emergency and they needed them. I mean, it's got to be a big deal as to um, why they may have altered, you know, what the wish of the money was. But um, once again, that's that's just what I've seen in my practice. Bruce? No, I agree with you, Peg. And, and I, I think people, even if there wasn't, you know, a, a, a legal um, obligation, I think people, generally speaking, Want to honor that loved one? They 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 want to they you know they feel a sense of responsibility. But you're right. There should also be a contingency of what if disaster strikes? I know I promised that I would do A, B, and C in order to receive this money, but I didn't know life would throw this curveball at me that I got sick or I lost my job or I got in this accident. Um, but I always tell people they can establish whatever rules they want. They can you know their legal documents can do. Whatever they want, they just have to communicate to the attorney what that is. And the other thing I thought, Peg, while you were giving your great answer, is what if there's disagreement over the people inheriting? And I think, and this is a situation I've run into a lot, um, I'm originally from Olivia in, in Renville County, Minnesota, farm country, and sometimes there's farmland that gets passed from one generation to another, and one sibling might want the land, might be farming and want to farm, and the other sibling left long ago for for whatever their career choice was. And now how do you come to an agreement on, do you sell the land? Do you, does the one sibling that wants it buy the other one out? At what price? How do you establish that? Uh, tax consequences? Is there a way to mitigate taxes? Uh, a, a strategy that we might frequently use is that you sell part of the land in December of one year and the other part in January of the next to split in the two years to reduce the taxes. But there's got to be, you know, agreement between the people inheriting if it's an asset that they're, that they're all part of. And so it can get very complicated. It can get very messy. And it's why it's so important to have communication and to establish the appropriate documents ahead of time to mitigate some of that, um, um, unpleasantness that might arise. And Peg, you've seen this too and heard this too. How many clients have you heard before say, my family would never fight over money, and then they end up in a situation where they're fighting over money? Yeah, 100%. Definitely. It, it cha Money changes people. And when it's not real, it's it's easy to say, oh, that's great, that's great. But when it becomes real, I mean, I see, and I think about this too, because I have six brothers and sisters. I, I mean, it's to the point where the family isn't even talking to one another. And so that's very disheartening. It's tragic, yeah. All right, should we Sweet. take, yeah, we have another caller at 651-461-9226. 
Uh, we have text questions, too, but we'll get to this call. Bill is on our news line. Bill, go ahead. You're on with Bruce and Peg. Yeah, yeah Bruce, I've been, thanks for taking me. I've been on, uh, listening to you before you were born. I'm 86 years old, and, and, and I've always <laughs> said, you know, the worst thing you <laughs> the worst thing you could do is leave uh, win the lottery, and, and it would spoil your kids. They wouldn't have any incentive to work. I'm 86. We have uh, revocable trust and uh, have land, and I still have cattle and stuff. And I uh, and you just made up a point that I uh, could touch on too. When you sell one piece of property for a lot of money, they're going to tax you on the rest of that property, on the potential of that rest of that property, and and uh, you really got to be careful on that stuff. Yeah. But n- no, I, I, there's a lot of things I could go into right now, but uh, I don't want to hold the program up always. But no, <laughs> you really want to think about all this stuff. And, uh, and like I said, uh, I, I encourage my kids to keep this property. It, it's worth billions of dollars right on a, uh, a good highway and, and keep it in a family or maybe leave it to the youngest to the last sibling so the whole family can... And, Keep it and have some place to to enjoy it. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for your uh, good your, your your good words and your good ideas, and thanks for listening. Peg, Bill brings up a couple different issues there. The one is about disincentivizing loved ones that if you leave them too much too soon, uh, comment on that, and then also comment on you know the other thing I think of again is the complexities. So again, sometimes having wealth. Not, not sometimes. It's a wonderful thing, but it does bring complexities, complications, and responsibilities to to handle that wealth and be good steward of that wealth. Um, but talk a little bit about this idea, either that or disinheriting kids. What are, What are your thoughts on what Bill talked about? It's interesting, Bruce. The first one that you brought up, you know, giving them money too soon in life, which changes their motivation. I've actually changed my ways way of thinking on that a little bit in that I I see the struggle, you know, of younger families and how much college costs um, have increased. And, and if there is a medical issue or something like that, I think there is some money that you can give to these younger generations without having them have lack of motivation. Now that kind of depends on which generation they were really born into and um, but I think someone like Bill, who's 86, would be uh, exciting to sit down with as a relative or a kid or a grandkid or something, because he could add so much value in his 86 years of of how life went. You know, so um, so I, I don't I think you can give some, and I don't think it'd be lack of motivation. The second one about him it just seems so passionate about hey kids keep this land it's so valuable i hate to sell this bill but 90 percent of these kids that i talk to if there was one kid maybe (laughs) but if there's multiple it gets very difficult to have that wish continue on and on as people see that the income on that land isn't going to produce as much as they want and they see the dollar signs of what the value of that um, property is. And even if they have to pay tax, they'd like to have some cash. Bruce? Yeah, and I, we probably don't have time to, to sneak in any more questions. So, I'll, you know, I'll add a little bit more. I, and again, Bill, thanks for, 
for listening and the great uh, points that you made. Um, Peg, I just, uh, again, my own opinion about disincentivizing children, and it's not an exact science, and whatever you feel or whatever you think is totally appropriate. It's like Susie brought up earlier, am I a bad mom or a bad person that I don't want to do legacy planning for my kids? No, whatever your philosophy is is fine. But my philosophy always has been that if you parent and you you raise your kids right and create certain values, work ethic in them – that money won't change them. That's That's been my theory. Now, my kids, and it might just be luck, it might not have anything to do with parenting, they're like that. They want to make their own way. They don't want to have to rely on me. And therein is the test. If your kid you know, is, is 28 years old, sitting in the basement, sleeping till noon, playing video games, I'd throw them out. But if they're out there working, trying, looking for a job, then you know they don't want to rely on your money, then I'd probably be more apt to help them. But that's just me. So, Susie, I know we're almost out of time. Great show today, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, very helpful. We did get some texts as well thanking you, uh, different customers that have gone through this experience with Wealth Enhancement Group and singing your praises. So that's always good to know because this stuff can be complicated. And as you said, Peg and Bruce, very emotional as well. So if you did not get your question answered, you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-888-6-ADVICE. Someone will answer that call and they'll get back to you. Also, your money at wealthenhancement.com. Have a great week. It is your money.